This is Marginalia, a production of KMUW Wichita. Marginalia. Notes in the margin of a book. Notes, commentary, and similar material written in the margin of a book. Comments and notes which are incidental incidental or additional additional to the main topic topic in the margin of a book. When Brian Morton published his 1991 novel, The Dylanist, he idealized his father and simultaneously tarnished his relationship with his mother, Tasha, who he painted as a not-so-lovable character. Now, 30 years later, Morton remembers his Spitfire mother in his book, Tasha, A Son's Memoir. Recounting her final years and the complicated emotions that arise when caring for an elderly parent, Morton explores the complexity of mother-son relationships and honors his mother through a form he thinks would have left her more pleased. I spoke with Brian Morton about all of this, as well as what it was like revisiting some painful memories. I'm Beth Golay, this is Marginalia, and here's our conversation. Your book is titled Tasha, A Son's Memoir. And as the title implies, Tasha is your mother. Can you tell our listeners a bit about her? Because in the book, you quoted Montaigne saying, no man is a hero to his valet, and few mothers are heroes to their sons. But then you proceed to describe some of her accomplishments and acts of self-creation, including choosing her own name. Thank you. That's a good way to lead into the book. But before we begin, I just want to say I'm so happy to be talking with you. I've been listening to your podcast and (laughs) it's so great. And I hope you won't cut this out. You have such a lovely way of helping people tell their stories and of being not obtrusive, but present, very present in the conversations. And I was just wondering, has anybody interviewed you on a podcast to ask about how you arrived at your style of doing these interviews? I don't think so, but thank you so much. That is so kind. That's so very kind. I appreciate that. I I would love to hear more about that sometime. (laughs) Uh, uh, So my mother, uh, 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 she was an independent spirit. Yes. Uh, As I say in the book, she left home at the age of 16 and started working. She chose her own name. She was born Esther, and she said that most of the, a lot of the girls in the neighborhood were, uh, were, were named Esther, and she didn't want to have the same name as everybody else, so she, she chose the name Tasha for herself. She proudly talked about being the first copy girl at the Daily Worker, which was the American communist newspaper published in New York. And later on, she became a kindergarten and first grade teacher in the 60s, in the days when for a lot of people, teaching in elementary schools was almost like joining the Peace Corps in in the sense that it was a mission. It was a job for idealists. And that's very much how she worked at that job. She, She had this philosophy that her job as a teacher was merely to help encourage every kid's natural love of learning rather than to, uh, she didn't see kids as these vessels which needed to be filled up with information. It was called student-centered learning. It was a cool thing to be a kid myself and to hear her talking about these theories of education because it, it gave me a picture of the kind of learner that I wanted to be as a kid. And later when I went on to become a teacher of writing, uh, I found myself teaching in the same same way. This isn't the first time you've written about your mother, is it? 
No, I my first published novel, which was the third one I wrote, I guess, was uh, uh, called The Dylanist. It's now happily out of print, which is a good thing. But I started it just after my father died. He died suddenly when I was still in my uh, 20s. And it began, it didn't even begin as an attempt at a novel. It began just as notes in my diary where I was trying to keep everything I could remember about him alive in my memory and on the page. And finally it grew into a novel in some part about them and growing up with them. The protagonist, I made the protagonist a sort of imaginary younger sister. I didn't just want to write about myself, but I felt in later years that I didn't do justice by my mother in the way I wrote about her. My father had always been a sort of distant figure and he died suddenly. And it was very easy to idealize the parent who was gone and the parent who, who had always been distant. My mother was never distant. That word was <laughs> not in her vocabulary. My mother used to sort of barge into my room and my sister's room without knocking. And she would be outraged at the suggestion that she should have knocked. What do you mean knock? I'm your mother. In that book, I later came to feel that I caricatured her somewhat. And one of the impulses in writing about her now after she died was to try to present a fuller picture of who she was. In the book, I write about this passage I came across about the novelist Henry James when he was dying his sister-in-law asked him if he had a message for her sons, his nephews. And one of the things he said was, tell them to take me seriously. And when I came across that line after my mother died, I, I kind of thought that, that that might've been a theme of her life, the desire to be taken seriously. And I hope I took her seriously in this new book. You know, as I read about your relationship with your parents, I found myself wondering if if there was some universality there because you wrote, your father is to be confronted, your mother is to be escaped. And I know this book is personal, but I'm wondering if you've heard from any early readers who might see themselves in your words. Uh, that's a good question. Not so much about that aspect of things. Yeah, when I was writing the book, I was kicking around the idea that men are much more conscious of what they take from their fathers in terms of their character, their attitude towards life and so on, than of what they take from their mothers. And I didn't try to research that question. I didn't read works of psychology about that question because I wanted it to be a memoir, a personal book. So I just sort of put that idea out there I feel like it's true in many cases, but uh, I'm not sure, and I haven't really been in conversation yet with people uh, about that idea. Does, it, does that feel true to you? Did that ring true to you when you were reading it? Well, I'm, I'm afraid that my mother might hear this, but um, <laughs> it felt, you know, there was some universality there. Um, I don't know. It This book just really felt personal to me. I mean, it felt personal to me. And so 
I guess I'm curious to see how people will receive it when it comes out. Several people have written to me about the memories it has evoked about their own mothers and about their relationship with both their parents. And, and that's been very gratifying. I have a, a, I call him a friend, someone I've known for 30 years. We never see each other, but we correspond. And it's almost always about books and such. I don't know much about his life. And after reading the book, he's a literary critic. That's one of the things he does, but he didn't write anything to me about the book. Rather, he wrote about his parents at great length. And as I say, he'd never talked about his life before. And it was very touching to me to, to see that that sort of opened up that door of communication for him. I feel like maybe I should set up this book a little bit for the listeners because, you know, when we begin, your mother has been caught in, um, you know, her, her car has been caught in a flood and you discover that she had a stroke. And so after that point, she has her driver's license taken away by you. Yeah. And I took it away and she was furious for months. Um, but then, you know, don't, sometimes don't I, protect me. Okay, sometimes I jot down quotes as I'm reading because the ideas make me just like sit up and take notice. And I'm wondering if you can expand a bit on this sentence, because this was during a point where you were having to make decisions about your mother's care. And you said, I think I could write the history of being my mother's son as a history of ill considered yeses. My mother was. <laughs> As, as I was indicating in the anecdote about her always entering our room when we were kids, our rooms without knocking, my mother, let's say she couldn't conceive of a situation that wouldn't be enhanced by her presence. You know, just any situation. What it needs is more Tasha Morton. So growing up, I had to work hard to create boundaries. And that wasn't always possible, or I didn't, uh, sometimes, sometimes it was like too hard, too hard to fight her. So uh, I'm not sure if this is exactly answering your question, but part of the drama of the book or the, or the one strand of the book is that I had evolved a relationship with her that felt comfortable to me and more or less comfortable to her in which I didn't, how to put this? Well, I wasn't always saying yes to her. My wife and I and our kids would have dinner with her. At the end of the meal, she'd go, well, why don't you come over and stay over at my house? And if you said no to that, she would get kind of angry. So after she had her stroke and needed help, part of what I went through was having to take down some of these boundaries that I put up over the years. And uh, it was sometimes difficult to navigate that, to really be present and take care of her uh, as much as she needed. Can you talk to me about your mother's diary? Because I know you had some conflicting feelings about including some of the passages and you ultimately decided to do so. Yeah. We came across her diaries when she was already out of her house. She was in a, a dementia unit at a place in New Jersey. And I read them 
And I was stunned by the depths of her sadness, a sadness that had persisted about many things for decades. I was stunned by a self-awareness that I hadn't known she'd had. And it was wrenching, it was heartbreaking to come across these diary entries from her at a point when she was still alive, but when I couldn't enter into conversation with her about any of these issues. For example, in life, she was always saying that everything would be fine. Oh, she, well, I'll stop and say she was a hoarder, as I say in the book. She, she lived in a state of jaw-dropping chaos. And she would always maintain to me and my sister that all she needed was for us to come over every weekend and help her dig out. When we tried to do that, it wouldn't work because she would fight us tooth and nail about throwing out anything. As I talk about in the book, we uh, at one point I tried to throw out a dusty plastic swizzle stick that I think she'd gotten in a trip to Atlantic City 20 years earlier, and she wouldn't let me throw out the swizzle stick. Her official position was that there was no real problem that couldn't be solved by me and my sister coming and helping her out. When I read the diaries, I found that she actually had thought a lot more about it and knew she had a problem and knew that we weren't the answer to that problem. As I say, coming across this evidence of introspection when it was too late to talk with her about any of these things and to try to find practical help for her was uh, a bittersweet experience to say the least. Reading her passages, her diary passages, I think it helped me as the reader to understand that she, the way she wrote in her diary, the way she thought internally was different than the way she expressed it to you. And so I do think, you know, even though you struggled with it, I do think it helped me with the book, helped me read the book and helped me understand your mother better as well. I'm so glad. I hope my editor listens to this. <laughs> Lauren Wien, a wonderful editor and a wonderful person. And I think she wanted me to take out the diaries at one point. So, ha, <laughs> I'm really glad you found them yeah, uh, yeah. helpful in, in getting the picture. Yeah, just provided some insight a little bit. So you already said earlier that you keep a diary. Does reading your mother's diary, does it make you want to prepare your own diaries for what, what will happen when your ultimate demise occurs? I mean, are you afraid somebody's going to read them? It would make me want to shred every every thought I've ever written and burn my diaries. <laughs> exactly. That is my plan. Yes. I, I'm too lazy to have gotten around to it yet, but I plan to get <laughs> rid of them all immediately. I'm going to do it this weekend. Thank you for reminding me. One last thing about putting my mother's diaries in the book is I liked doing it because given the fact that so much of my thinking process when I was writing the book was around the question of whether I was representing her fairly and adequately and fully, as I don't think I did in my you know, early novel, I was happy to have the opportunity to have her speak in the book in her own voice, unmediated by me. Reading your mother's diary helped you to understand her. 
do you think that reading your diary would help your loved ones understand you better? I mean, I'm just, I'm playing devil's advocate here because no, yes, I want to burn mine, but, but I see how it was, you were able to benefit from it. Right. But do I want them to understand me better? How about, <laughs> how about you? Do you how, so really, what, what, what do you think you'll keep yours around for other people to read? No. No? I've already started getting rid of them. Even before I read this book, but this just adds an urgency to it. <laughs> Why? Um, well, first of all, I don't think I have anything interesting to say. Oh, come on. That's and <laughs> well, I wrote them for me. I uh, write the stuff. Yeah, I write the stuff for me. For in what sense? Like for to remember, for self-clarification? This interview has turned around, hasn't it? <laughs> I'm no longer with the interviewer. <laughs> I've lost control. Um, <laughs> no, no. You Your listeners want to know more about you. Um, I don't know. I'll have to give that some thought. Okay, let's get back to you. So, <laughs> okay, so seriously, though, I, you know, I was appalled by the elder abuse that Tasha received at the, you know, at the hand of her home aides. It was nerve wracking and very disturbing to witness from our perspective. And we can't even imagine what it was from your perspective. So how were you able to keep your cool throughout this? And, and what was it like revisiting it when you wrote about it? My mother passionately and adamantly didn't want to leave her house. And she wasn't the woman you could boss around. And so we settled on the expedient of hiring home care, hiring aides who would live with her. And my mother would say that she didn't like the aides, but she was past the point where she could explain why. She was really pretty far gone at that point. And she almost wasn't gonna like anyone who, who was staying with her, but after a while, I got curious, and I surreptitiously left a recording device in her house after a visit. And when I played back the recording, I was simply appalled. That's the word you used, and it's yeah, the word that comes to mind by what was going on. The aide was not physically abusing her, thank God but she was verbally abusing her constantly, telling her that she was ugly, that she had an ugly soul, that when she died, people would come to her funeral just to dance in happiness that she was gone. It's astonishing what people can sometimes do if they think they have power and no consequences. It was really unspeakable. When I was writing that section, I actually couldn't go back and listen to the recordings because it was too painful and so on. So I relied on memory. And later, after I wrote it, I did go back and I found that I I remembered it all. It, it was, it sort of re renders me mute, speechless right now, even in thinking about it. There's a strand in the book, as you know, of lamentation over our social arrangements in the United States that we really do so little for the elderly and do so little to 
assure that people can live their last years with some kind of dignity and comfort. And it seemed like an index of how bad things are here that when you learn that your parents' aid has been verbally abusing them, but not actually physically abusing them, there's a tiny element of relief. Were you asking how I kept my cool? I'm not sure I did really. With that particular aid, all I wanted to do was get her out of the house. So I kind of channeled my emotions into just trying to make that happen as efficiently as possible. And, and then finally, we did move her to a facility when we felt that we just couldn't trust that any single person or location of people was going to take good care of her. You know, the pages in my digital advanced reader copy didn't have like clear page notations, so I'm not quite sure where this was in the book, but it was in the section where you were thinking about your mother's last words. And the paragraph began with you thinking about who she might have been avenging for insults suffered when she spoke the last words, because you... At, at that point, you weren't sure if she thought she was speaking to you or if she was speaking to the caregiver who had just, like, helped her. Early in this multi-page paragraph, there was a, a shift from the point of view, from you, you know, you thinking about who she might have been avenging, but then it shifts from your perspective to an assumption of hers. Yeah. So can you talk to me about that paragraph? I mean, I don't know how else to ask it, but talk to me about writing that paragraph. Yes. Well, for a spoiler for the readers, my mother's last week was spent in something close to a coma. She was unresponsive. And at one point, my sister and my wife and I left the room when some aides came in to change her. And my mother, who I should say swore like a sailor, as, as long as I knew her, was yelling at the aides when they were changing her and cursing at them. That to me was a hopeful sign because it was the first time she'd spoken in like five days. And thinking that she had come closer to consciousness, when we came back into the room, my sister said, I love you, mom. And my mother replied, I don't know if you'll have to bleep this, but she replies, bullshit, go to hell. And I said the same thing, I love you. And she said, well, I hate you. And those were the last words she ever spoke. And as you were saying, I have no idea whether she was aware who she was speaking to or not. And it's one of those huge, strange ironies of life that a woman who conceived of herself as living entirely for her children should end her life with those words. And when I was writing that chapter, I start by thinking about those words and saying that in a way, I hope she knew who she was talking to because she had things to be angry at me about, including that first novel of mine. And so I was writing about this, meditating on the reasons she might have had to want to speak those as her last words. And I found myself, without planning it at all, slipping into her voice, into her mind. And the long paragraph that you referred to is an imagined monologue from her about 
all the things that had disappointed her in life, all the reasons she had had to be angry in life, starting from a father who didn't do right by her, let's put it that way, and a husband who was difficult. And other to other larger questions about the fate of the of the kind of education she'd been promoting all her life and how and how that had been eclipsed in America. But anyway, I I I didn't plan it at all, as I say, but I was happy that I wandered into that attempt at my keyboard of trying to actually speak from her point of view. Whether I got it right, who knows? But it felt good to make the attempt. So did writing the book, did it change how you remember your mother? That's such a good question. I'm not sure it changed how I remember her. It might change something in my feeling about our relationship in that, although she certainly wouldn't be happy about a lot of things in this new book. I think she would be glad to know that I devoted a book to her. I think she'd be surprised. And I think she'd be glad to know that I tried. You know, God knows there would be a lot of things <laughs> she would be demanding I take out. But on the whole, I, I think she would feel that I did indeed try to take her seriously. Why did you write this book? Was it therapeutic for you? I mean, I know you wrote it for, you know, it would be for your mother's memory and for her, but did you write it for you as well? I think I, this might seem a little abstract or cold or something, but I'd written five novels before this. And the thing that I love most about writing novels is writing characters. When I feel that I've come up with a vivid, interesting character. I'm in heaven as a writer. I don't find it that easy. I publish a novel every seven years or something like that. And during the pandemic, I'd finished working on a novel that I'd been writing for like five years and something about it just didn't work. And I put it aside and didn't know what to write about. And suddenly I just thought of trying to write, write about my mother. And she's she was certainly a character and i found despite the fact that much of the book is painful i found it so much fun to write about her and so easy to write about her that uh apart from anything else it was just to an unusual extent a joy for me to write i mean this is a person who when she was in the hospital and a nurse was trying to take her blood pressure. My mother notices that the nurse is wearing a cross and my mother refuses to let her put the blood pressure cup on, instead wants to fight about religion. How can you, a person of science, also believe in religion? It was just so much fun to write stories like that, to remember anecdotes like that about her. Has your sister read the book? Yeah. What does she say about it? Because I often hear that people might grow up in the same household, but they often have different experiences and memories. That's so true. That is so true. And it's true of my sister and me. But from what my sister says to me, I think she feels that I got this right, which made me really happy. That was Brian Morton, author of the book, 
Natasha, A Son's Memoir, which was published by Avid Reader Press. Thanks for joining us for Marginalia. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editor is Luann Stevens. Our producer is Haley Krausen. And our intern is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia. And for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay. Thank you.